Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, we're going to be uh, in Genesis chapter 1. In Genesis chapter 1. You don't have to turn very far this morning. As a matter of fact, if you're using version, it might take you longer to get to uh, the version event than it is to just turn in the Bible. So there you go. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, as you're turning there this morning, uh, we are starting a new series in Genesis uh, called, uh, you know, it's Genesis, the stories from the beginning, stories from the beginning. And, uh, you know, I'm the kind of person, and uh, some of you may uh, differ on this, but I'm the kind of person who loves a good origin story. I love a good origin story, and a lot of people say that, oh, the origin story has been overplayed and overdone, and we're getting tired of seeing origin story, origin story. When you watch a movie, it just feels like it's overdone. But I love a good origin story. I love to see, uh, you know, where people got their beginning and, and how uh, their story got to where they are. And I just love a good origin story. And you know me, I am a comic book geek, uh, love comic books. And so uh, anytime I hear about a character coming up in a movie and it's like, oh, I've never heard about this, I'll you know, go on my Marvel comic app or DC comic app and I'll read the origin story of these characters. I, I love origin stories. Matter of fact, uh, one of my favorite book series is Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, wonderful work and when you say Chronicles of Narnia, most people think, I love Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. That is my favorite book in the series. That's the one that everyone talks about. But you see, my favorite book in the series is The Magician's Nephew, which is the first book chronologically in the series. And I love it because it details the origin, the beginning of Narnia and how it comes to be and how it was formed. I love reading about the beginnings. And so this morning, we are going all the way back to the beginning. And really, that's what Genesis is. The Hebrew word for Genesis is beginning. And so Moses tells us this is the beginning, this first book. It's the beginning, and it really is. It's the beginning of so many things. It's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of life. It's the beginning of mankind. It's the, you know, the beginning of well, it's where we see the beginning of sin. It's where we uh, see the beginning of so many covenants. It's the beginning. And so this morning, we are going to start in the beginning. And we're going to look at what happens in the beginning and how God operated in the beginning. And so to talk about this, we're going to verse 1 in Genesis chapter 1. And this is what Genesis 1.1 says. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there is so much weight in just such few words. So much debate, so much discussion. What does this even mean? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. What does this all mean? So let's break it down a little bit. This word beginning... In the beginning, what does beginning mean? Many people debate on that word. What does it mean when it says in the beginning? Was the beginning the instant of time zero? Was there no before? Or is this a reference to the beginning of God's creative work? Or is it a season of creation? What is beginning? Well, 
I think it is simply this. The beginning. There was nothing, and then creation begins. And so, in the beginning, creation begins, and so for there to be a creation, there has to be a creator. There can't just exist nothing or something out of nothing. There has to be a creator. And so who is the creator? Well, it says, in the beginning, God. God is creator. Isaiah 42.5 tells us, this is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Romans 1.20 tells us, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. God is creator. I love this quote from John MacArthur and talking about a uh, scientist and something this scientist discovered. And uh, I just want to read this quote. He says, a well-known scientist named Herbert Spencer died in 1903. He had discovered that all reality, all that exists in the universe, can be contained in five categories, time, force, action, space, and matter. Herbert Spencer, again, said it exists and everything exists, exists in one of these categories, time, force, action, space, and matter. And so now think about that when you read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, that's time. God, that's force. Created, that's action. The heavens, that's space. And the earth, that's matter. Everything that could be said about everything that exists is said in that first verse. So God created everything, and yet many people refuse to believe that God even exists, let alone would be a creator. And there's all these different theories that they've come up with, this evolutionary theory, national, or natural law, that, that everything came from nothing, that it's random chance, that uh, you know, there's a group of people called theistic evolutionists who believe that God created evolution and then steered evolution. Steered the unsteerable thing, the unpredictable thing. There are many people who refuse to believe that God can be creator. Matter of fact, there are people who so badly do not want God to be creator that they have no other possible explanation for how everything came to be. They just believe that it can't be God. Matter of fact, Richard Dawkins, who is uh, known as one of the foremost atheists in the world, once wrote this in his book, The Blind Watchmaker. He said, I have no explanation for complex biological design. All I know that God is not a good explanation. So we must wait and hope that somebody comes up with a better one. Good explanation, right? Very logical, makes sense. I, I don't know what caused it, but it can't be God, so let's move on. Okay. And uh, this guy is seen as an expert in his field. Um, but I, when we look at the alternatives, or all the alternatives, they don't make sense. As a matter of fact, listen to what Lee Strobel once said. He said, looking at the doctrine of Darwinism, which undergirded my atheism for so many years, it didn't take me long to conclude that it was simply too far-fetched to be credible. I realized that if I were to embrace Darwinism, evolution, and its underlying premise of naturalism, I would have to believe these things. That one, nothing produces everything. That two, non-life produces life. That three, randomness produces fine-tuning. Four, that chaos produces information. 
Five, that unconsciousness produces consciousness. Six, that non-reason produces reason. The central pillars of evolutionary theory quickly rotted away when exposed to scrutiny. So pretty much what he's saying is, I would have to believe that nothing creates everything. Non-life creates life. Uh, unconsciousness creates consciousness. It doesn't make any sense. And yet that is what so many people want to believe. But here's the thing. There are many scientists in the past and present who support the idea that this world was intelligently designed, that there was a creator who put everything into its place, created everything that we see. And this can be backed up by science. And here's the thing. I think so often we are quick to say that science is the enemy of faith. And I don't believe that to be true. No, I believe that science can back up our faith, that science can prove that God was creator, that this world, this rock on which we live was intelligently designed. And so science can prove our faith to be true. And there are many scientists who believe and who have spent their whole lives showing, hey, God is creator. This place has been intelligently designed. And so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, it says this. It says, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So he creates the heavens and the earth, and it's, it's void, it's formless, it's darkness. And it's kind of interesting I had never heard of this before this week and I was doing some research and some study and there's a theory that some people hold to that in between verse 1 and verse 2, sin enters into the world. And so because sin enters into the world, uh, the world becomes dark and formless and void. And so what God has to do is take all of this and reformat it, recreate and then later, when man sins, then it messes up everything that God just recreated. And they call this the gap theory. Makes sense, the gap in between verses 1 and 2. Logically, it doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't make any sense according to Scripture. I think what he's saying here is that it's dark because he just has simply not created light yet. That doesn't come until verse 3. But... I do think there is something important to note in verse 2. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters there, preparing for creation. And this shows us that from the very beginning, that the Trinity was involved in creation. We see God the Father, who is the ultimate source of creation, revelation, salvation, we see the Son in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Son is the agent through whom the Father does the following works, creation, revelation, salvation. The Holy Spirit, He was there. The Spirit is the means by whom the Father does the same things, creation, maintenance of the universe, salvation. Jesus works. The Holy Spirit is part of that. It is a process together. The Trinity is there. And so we move into verse 3. And before we go into verse 3, we start to see in verse 3 how this process of creation unfolds. And if you notice, there will be a pattern to creation. Well, there's the creative word. Then there's the report of its effect. 
God will call things good. There will be naming of the things. Then there will be numbering of each of the days. And that word day is a tricky one. That word day, when we read through this account, it's a tricky word because uh, Moses uses the word in several different ways. The word for day in Hebrew is yom, Y-O-M. And this is an interesting word because it's used in a variety of different ways throughout uh, Scripture, especially in the Old Testament, especially with Moses. We see him use this word in many different ways. In some spots, it's referring to an unspecified amount of time. In some places, it's referring to a, uh, you know, if, if, for example, it would be like if I said, hey, back in my day, we probably have all said that at some point, right? Back in my day. Well, that can be an unspecified amount of time. It could be weeks, months, years, whatever. But I think when we see this word here, I think what Moses is saying in creation, each of the days we see is a literal 24-hour period each day. And I'll tell you why I believe that. Because when you look throughout the Old Testament, any time that there is an ordinal adjective, for example, first second, third, fourth, etc. It is referring to a 24-hour period in the Old Testament. The other reason I believe this is talking about a literal 24-hour period is because at the end of the seventh day, or on the seventh day, what does it say? It says that God created and then he took a rest and he turned it into a uh, special day, a holy day. It's to be set apart If that's an unspecified amount of time, then the Sabbath is an unspecified amount of time. So that's why I lean towards um, it being a 24-hour period. Other people have differing thoughts on that, and that's fine. What matters is that God is creator. He is creator, and he has created in six days everything. And so we get into verses 3 through 5. What did he create? Well, it tells us in verses 3 through 5, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. So the world is formless, void, dark. And so what does God do? He creates light. And it's fitting that this is the first thing he creates because in Hebrew ideology, light is seen as goodness and wisdom and knowledge, whereas darkness would be considered the opposite. And so he creates light first, and he says that the light was to be day and the darkness was to be night. And he called these things good. The light was good. And then there was evening and there was morning the first day. Then in verses 6 through 8, he continues with creation. It says, And God said, Let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And so this shows us, it appears at one point before this happens, that there was just a mist that was over the earth that um, before there was this expanse that was created. And I love how uh, BibleReference.com talks about this. It says, this seems to be an allusion to the water cycle. 
Terrestrial and subterranean water exists below the sky, while water vapor and water in the form of clouds rise above, separated from the surface water by an expanse of air. And so he separates water in the sky and in the form of clouds. He separates that from the water that's on the ground. And in between, he creates air. He creates air. And so we continue in creation. And it says in verse 9, And God said, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and let, it, let dry ground appear. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, and trees on the land that bear fruit with seeds in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And so he takes the water and he uh, separates it from the ground and brings out dry ground. And then he creates these seed-bearing plants and, and trees. And how amazing is this? You know, that God in his design, again, this is why he's so intelligently designed, he created these plants, these trees, with the ability to produce seeds, to continue to produce plants and trees. God built it into creation for this to continue, that the earth would continue to have these things. And then we move into verses 14 through 19, but before we get into that, so if you notice... We have three days, and in three days, God has taken what was dark and formless and void, and he's creating a backdrop. He's creating the setting. He's creating the place for which he is now going to fill up with more creation. And so in verses 14 through 19, he says, And God said, Let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years. And let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on earth. And it was so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. God set them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night and to separate light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And so this is pretty amazing. And sometimes I think we take for granted the creation story because sometimes we forget just how big and powerful and amazing God is. God created light before he created the sun. Think about that. We see light created before he creates this great light, the sun. Now, some people say this is backwards and evolutionists try to say that this doesn't make any sense. He had to have created. They believe, hey, maybe the sun was already there, but you couldn't see it because of all the mist that had been around the earth. And so it was just dim and dark and you couldn't see it, but it was always there. But if we take Moses at his word, we see light and then we see sun later on in the story. And so we see these great lights, these vaults of the sky to separate the day from night. And they were to serve as marked sacred times and days and years. I think this is pretty important that Moses is 
telling us this because for many people who were alive during biblical times, they believed that the sun, the moon, the stars, these things were all divine in their own right. They would worship the sun. They would worship the moon. They would worship the stars. And these things would be divine in their mind. But here God, or Moses shows us that God created these things. These things aren't divine. The sun isn't divine. The moon isn't divine. The stars aren't divine. God is divine and he created these things. And they're a mark of times, days, years. None of these things even are important if it's not for the sun and the rotation of the planets. And so he creates these things. He makes two great lights, the, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the nights. And he makes the stars and he sets them in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth to govern the day and the night and to separate darkness from lights. You know, this shows us something important. The stars, the moon, the sun, these declare the glory of who he is. The glory, the power, the majesty of God. Psalm 19.1 reminds us, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. All these things explain the power and the majesty of who God is. And then he continues on in verses 20 through 23. Says and God said, Let the water teem with living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number, and fill the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And so he has the air, right? And so he creates birds, all various kinds of birds, all different types of birds. Uh, some birds are, uh, look amazingly beautiful. Some birds are like, oh, I don't know what God was thinking, but okay. Um, he created these, all these winged birds, and then he created all these creatures that we see in the seas. And again, there's some amazing looking creatures in the seas and then there's some and you look at them and you're like, yeah, okay. But he created them. He created them and he fills the space, the air with birds, the seas with creatures. It's funny to think all these people in biblical times, they used to believe that these sea creatures were, were gods, were monsters, Leviathan, all these things. And yet these are just big things that God has created, these creatures of the sea, the creatures of the deep. And he gives them this blessing. He tells them, be, you know, increase, increase, be fruitful and increase in numbers and fill the waters in the sea. This blessing that God gives them to continue to produce more sea creatures, more birds, be fruitful and increase. And then he continues on in verse 24. Through 25, he says, And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Living creatures. What, what does this mean? Well, livestock, it would include cattle and other domesticated animals, creeping things, it's reptiles, insects, beasts of the earth, these wild animals. And he's created each of them according to their various kinds. 
And then in verse 26, and let's make no mistake here, mankind comes after these living creatures on the same day. Telling you now, we did not evolve from these creatures. I don't, no mistake in that. Just because they're next doesn't mean we evolved from them. Just saying that. But we see in verse 26 or 31, it says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw, all, or saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Mankind. He created mankind. And it says that he created them in his image. And so what does that mean? Well, it's not a physical appearance. We see in John 4.24, and it says God is spirit, and his worshipers worship in the spirit and in truth. And so if it's not a physical representation and being created in God's image, what does it mean? Well, I like, again, how Bible Ref puts this. It says, in other words, humans would possess the capacity for reason and morality and language and personality and purpose. In particular, the ability to use morality and spirituality are unique to human beings among God's creations on earth. Like God, we possess the capacity to experience and understand love, truth, and beauty. This is, we're made in the image of God by having the characteristics, the attributes of God the Father. And we see that he creates the male and female now, I'm just going to say it. I know that this is a very, very hot topic today, this idea of God creating the male and female. But I believe Scripture tells us plainly and clearly there is male and there is female. There, that is it. Two kinds, male and female. He creates them. Jesus reiterates this in Mark 10, 6. But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Two kinds, male and female. And then he gives them the instruction, again, the blessing that he has given them to be fruitful and to multiply, to have children. And those children would uh, have children and they would have children and they would be married and they would produce more children. They would be fruitful and multiply over the earth and they would have dominion. They would be representatives of God over the creatures of the sea and the livestock and the birds and all the other creatures. And we see once sin enters into the picture, this idea of them being faithful representatives or having dominion, it turns to a desire for power. And we see how sin messes with that. But we see that God on the sixth day, created livestock, created various creatures, including mankind. And so to explore this further, we got to move into Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 4 through 25, starting with verses 4 through 7. 
And in verses 4 through 7, it tells us this. It says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And so this is really quite fascinating, and sometimes this can be a hang-up. Why does it seem like Genesis 1 and 2 are telling the same story, but it seems very different as far as genre? Well, Here's the thing. Moses is using two different genres to tell the same story. In the beginning, in chapter 1 of Genesis, we see a very poetic explanation, a very poetic telling of the creation and everything that takes place in each day. And in so Genesis chapter 2, we see the same story, but more in a narrative format, explaining the beginning of man, the beginning of Adam, the beginning of Eve. And so we see that at this point, nothing, there's been no shrub yet, no plant had sprung up, the Lord had not sent rain, there was no one to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. And it says that the Lord God formed a man from dust and breathed into his nostrils. The word formed here is similar to what would be the work of an artist. When he says that he formed, it would be similar to an artist who paints a painting or or forms a clay pot with his hands. It's similar to that. So what he's saying is he he formed it just like an artist forming a, a piece of art. God formed the dirt, the dust into man. And when we see this word ground, it refers to dirt, ash, and powder. And so pretty much he makes a man out of mud, dirt, But then, listen to what he does. It says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. You see, everything else that had been created is created with this creative word. Let this happen, let this happen, let this happen. But with man, there's a uniqueness because we have breathed into us the breath of God. There's a difference between man and all the rest of creation, and that is in the personal touch that God gives by breathing life into man. And so the story continues in verses 8 through 17, and it says this, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From, where, or from there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. It winds through the entire land of Havala where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river is the Gion and it winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. 
And so God takes and he creates this beautiful land, this beautiful garden in the east and a place called Eden. Now I gotta remind everybody here just for a second, the name of the garden is not Eden. It's where the garden was. I, I remember growing up, I used to think the garden was the garden of Eden, that the garden's name was Eden. And I was like, no, that's, it's where it's at. Oh, okay, that makes sense. But for the longest time, I believed that the garden was named Eden until somebody told me, no, that wasn't the case. But he creates this beautiful garden, this amazing garden. This, it has water to, to take care of it. Everything in this thing just sounds beautiful. And then he takes man. And what does he do? He puts man in the garden to work. He puts man in the garden to take care of the garden, to work the garden, to work the land. There's a truth in this. You see, we are all, from the very beginning, have been created to do tasks. We have jobs to do. We have work to do. We are, when we are created, we are created to also do work, to have tasks, to have jobs, to share in the work of the kingdom. We have work. We have jobs, we have tasks. Ephesians 2 reminds us of that in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have jobs, we have tasks. Adam had a job, had a task to help take care of the garden. And then God tells Adam, here's the thing, you can eat from any of the trees except for this one. You're free to eat from any of them, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this is really interesting because I've heard people say, this is all God's fault, right? Like this is all God's fault. Why would you stick a tree in the middle of the garden and tell them you can eat from all of these things, but you can't eat from this one tree? This is God's fault. He put this tree there. He tempted them. He told them that this was there. It's all God's fault. I hear people say that. No. What God is getting at here is be obedient. Be obedient. I've given you everything. You have all of these things. You have all of these trees. You can eat from any of these things. Be obedient to me and do not eat from this one that I tell you do not eat from. How often are we in that? Man, we have been provided with so much. God blesses us with so much, but yet so often we want so much more, don't we? And we want the things that the world offers, even though God has blessed us with the things. We want the things that the world offers. We don't want to be obedient to what God has told us to do. Hey, I've blessed you with what you need. Don't, don't seek the things of the world. And yet we become so tempted and snared and we become disobedient. It's funny, we see this played out again. Moses says something similar in Deuteronomy 30. Listen to what he says in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. He says, See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. For I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees, and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away, and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. 
You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witness against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give you to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so in other words, what Moses is telling him, you have two choices. You can be obedient to God and you can listen to what God tells you to do and you can live for him and you can love your Lord and you can follow his decrees, his commands and be blessed or you can choose the opposite. You can choose to disobey and guess what? You will die. You will not live long in this land you possess. And we have the choice too. We can be obedient or we can choose to follow the things of this world but guess what there's consequences for that there's consequences when we choose to live by the world by the things of this world and someday we will have to give an account why did we choose to live by the things of this world rather than be obedient to what God has called us to and so that's what he is calling Adam to be be obedient you have all of these trees you have all of this food you can eat from any of these things just not this one be obedient in this And then he continues on in verses 18 through 24, and it says this. It says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out the ground, all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave the names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, that they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. And so God sees that there's no suitable helper for man and so he's going to give him a helper. But before we get there, we see that all the animals and birds come before man and man gives them a name. It reminds me of the story I once heard from a pastor who said, you know, God one day took all the animals and he said, hey, Adam, I want you to name these animals. And he goes, all right. And so he starts bringing the animals to him one by one. And, and Adam is naming the animal one by one, you know, cow, uh, cardinal, uh, just naming the, the animals one by one. And it's been a long day and he's getting tired. And God says, hey, I got one more for you. Just one more. And he goes, all right, bring them on, God. And this animal comes out and Adam's wondering, man, I've I've given all these names. I don't know what dog. And, you know, God hears it. He's like, yes, I love that. You know, dog, that's my name backwards. And and this is wonderful. I I like it. And and God and Adam are high-fiving. And then all of a sudden, one other creature walks up. And Adam is confused and he's perplexed. And he's like, all right, you told me this was it. This was the last animal. God, what is this? All right, fine, cat. And God looks at him and says, I didn't create that. 
I'm sorry if you're a, if you're a cat lover. I, it wasn't my. I took that from somebody. Okay, it's not. But he's in, he names all of these creatures, but yet he's still lacking that helper. And so we see that God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he's sleeping, he takes one of the man's ribs and closes up the place with flesh. And he takes that rib and he creates out of that rib woman. And this is pretty amazing. We see the words suitable helper. And people take that as a derogatory term, but he's messing a suitable helper. And this isn't meant to be derogatory. No, you see, when it says that he was missing a suitable helper, he was missing something. She supplies what he needs. She supplies what he needs. She is his missing rib. He is missing a rib. She supplies to him the things that he is lacking. And it's vice versa. He supplies what she is lacking. She supplies what he is lacking. And God brings this woman before man, and the man says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Interesting, this kind of ties in because woman has come from his body. It it makes sense why Paul writes what he writes in Ephesians 5 and 28 through 30 when he says, In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one has ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we're members of his body. And so it was his responsibility to care for her as he cared for his own body. And it says this is the reason why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Again, this is a hot topic, but scripture makes it clear. Marriage is designed for a man and a woman. Man, woman. That is the biblical design for marriage. And this is why a man leaves his father, mother, and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. And so we see here the creation of man and woman, Adam, Eve. And so that's on the sixth day. So what happens on the seventh day? Well, the seventh day we have to go to Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. And it says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating, uh, of the work of creating that he had done. On the seventh day, God rested. Now, I don't believe that God rested because he was sleepy. I don't think God was like, oh, I'm just going to kick back and take a nap. No, I'm just done. No, I think things were done. He had created what he intended to create. He, the, the things at this point, his, what he was working on had been completed. And so on the seventh day, he said, I'm going to rest. And the seventh day is holy. And guess what? From there, he would continue to do more things. But on the seventh day, it was a day for rest. And on this day for rest, we get what is known as the Sabbath, a day of rest. And this day is to be holy. We are to work, but then we are also to rest. And that's the hard thing for us, isn't it? We understand work, but so often we don't understand the importance of resting. And we are to take that day and we are to make it holy and we are to rest. And on that day, we are to worship him. Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11 reminds us. 
Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." There is a biblical merit to taking a day and resting and making that our Sabbath and making it a day that is holy to him, that is pleasing to him. And so, here we are, creation. Everything playing in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, we see the, crea- uh, the creation accounts. And I think there's one thing we need to remember this morning from this. There's a lot here, but I think there's one thing. If we remember one thing, it is this. God was there in the beginning, and he is creator. God was there in the beginning. From the very beginning, God was there. He was creator. People like to look at this and say that if God was there, then who created God? If there's a creator, there has, if there's something created, there has to be a creator, right? No, God was always there. He wasn't created. He existed outside of space and time, and he is Creator, He has created everything, put everything in its place, the, the heavens, the earth, everything that is in it. He is creator. And so many people today are trying to disprove that, are, are trying to say that there is no God. And even if there is a God, he could not be creator. But we know, according to God's word, that is not true. He is creator. He is the source and creator of all things. He is God. He is in the beginning and he is creator. And so the question that I would ask you this morning is this. Do you believe that God is the source and creator of life, of everything? Is it God or is it something else in your mind? Because this is important. And here's the thing that's so amazing about the creation account. The same God who created everything, man, he created us for relationship with him. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, the same God who created everything, the, the source and creator of life, the same God created us to be in relationship with Him. And next week, we're going to talk about how, you know, humans kind of fumble things up and sin enters into the world. But even then, when sin enters into the world, God has a plan. God has a plan to to fix what we have broken and to be in relationship with us again. That is why we were created, for relationship with him. And the same God loved us so much that he would be willing to help fix what we mess up. John 3.16, I know we hear it a lot, but it's still so good. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The creator of the universe loves us. How amazing is that? The creator who placed everything in its spot, everything that's created the setting, created everything in it is a God who loves us. And he would send his son for us. And maybe you're here this morning and you've never made the decision to follow him and Man, what better time than now? This is the same God who created everything, loves you, loves us. And if you've never made that decision on your Connect card, you can write it down. You can come find me and talk with me. I'd love to talk with you.
Or maybe you're here and you're like me. Sometimes we take for granted reading through Genesis, how amazing, how wonderful, how powerful our God is. And sometimes we get so distracted by the things around us that it takes away from us picturing and focusing on our Creator. And so maybe this morning you're here and what we need to do is just, we need to lay these things that are distracting us, that are causing us to look away from Him. We need to lay those at His feet. And so if that's you this morning, right where you're sitting, and pray, give those things to God, those things that are distracting you, keeping your focus off of Him. If you need to pray, I'd love to pray with you. And here's the thing, God was here from the very beginning. He is Creator. He's created us and he loves us. He breathed life into us. He loves us. He designed us for a relationship and we can have a relationship with him. If you have a decision to make this morning, I pray that you would.